16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. You're listening to Comedy Central. From New York City, the only city in America, it's the show that invented news. This is The Daily Show with your host, Jordan Clipper. It is my third night hosting the show, and I'm finally starting to get some respect. Uh, this morning, the show security guy called me Mr. Klepper instead of Slender Man, so really making progress. We got a great show for you tonight. My guest tonight is Michael Shannon. So let's get into headlines. Let's begin with Fox News, which yesterday agreed to pay $787.5 million for saying Dominion voting machines helped Joe Biden steal the election. Although, now that more details of the settlement have come out, it turns out it's not all bad news for Fox. The deal sparing Fox from what would have been a very high-profile trial with some of the network's own stars likely testifying. Dominion's legal team says there will be no on-air apologies or retractions on Fox News. In a statement, the network is saying the settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. That's right, high journalistic standards like this. The green M&M got her boots back, but apparently is now a lesbian, maybe? (laughs) Look, I'm happy for Dominion, but Dominion was not the only injured party here. What about, you know, our faith in democracy? There are people who will not trust elections for the rest of their lives, and I have to talk to those people. I'm going to be arguing with them at Trump rallies every four years for the rest of my life. (laughs) And you know what? I'm not naive. I didn't expect this lawsuit to restore our country's faith in elections, or even for me to get a little cashola. No. But I was at least hoping to get a couple weeks of joy out of seeing Sean Hannity up there on the stand, sweating through his shirt like a beach manatee. (laughs) Would that have saved democracy? I don't know. But it would have been nice to see. We're not going to get any of that. They don't even have to apologize on air. And frankly, we deserve that. Bare minimum. 
Yes, you deserve that. And you know what? If the settlement won't give it to you, then I shall. There's much fallout this evening, and there will be for months. We are admitting that we lied to you for saying the wrong things about the, the 2020 election. Now, why is that? Well, the truth is Donald Trump lost the election. And no, we didn't tell you because we don't care what you think. Now we have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars. We were wrong. We are completely irresponsible, and we're sorry, America. I'm sorry for repeating something that was untrue. I'm sorry, I just gotta take a quick break mm -hmm. and go cry in a closet while squeezing a stuffed animal. Thank you, Tucker, well said. Well, let's move on, because luckily there are people out there doing the hard work of real investigative journalism. People like Bruce Willingham. He runs the McCurtain Gazette News out of middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Now, Bruce suspected that the local sheriff and other officials were, do were doing county business after meetings ended. So he secretly recorded them. And when he played the tape back, he heard them talking about him and his son, who is also a reporter, and it was not flattering. The recordings captured the group talking about hiring hitmen to kill the reporters and where the bodies could be hidden. I've known two or three hitmen, very quiet guys. Yeah. And would cut no person. Yeah. Oh, holy shit. You can't threaten to kill journalists in a council meeting. Keep that shit on Twitter like a normal person. Although you can tell that some people were a little more integral to this plot than others, because one guy was like, I know two hitmen. And another guy is like, and I know two holes. Yeah, uh, thanks for the contribution, Larry. We'll let you know if we need to use your connection with the, uh, the holes. And by the way, how strapped for time are people in this town that they have to pre-dig murder holes? Are you so f***ing busy that you can't do the hole after you do the murder? Or, or maybe it's like carrying an umbrella. Like the day you don't have the hole is when you end up killing someone. <laughs> now look. It would be bad enough if plotting to throw local journalists into holes, pre-dug or otherwise, was all that the county sheriff and his friends were caught doing on these tapes. But guess what? They moved on to something else. On that same audio recording, the people talking shared their dismay that lynching black people is no longer acceptable. I want to tell you something. If we're back in the day, would that dog take a damn black guy, whoop their ass and throw them in the cell? I'd run for Wow. Someone tell these cops that they have the right to remain silent. And you could tell this thing was going to go badly as soon as they said back in the day. No sentence in the South ever goes well after the phrase back in the day. It's never like, back in the day, we lived in a rich, multicultural tapestry. <laughs> What's crazy is these reporters weren't even looking for racism and assassination plots. They were hoping to catch improper meeting procedures. It's like if you put a security camera up in the office to see which employee was stealing your yogurts, and you caught them doing a human sacrifice. <laughs> You'd be like, oh my god, I've stumbled upon the most unholy rituals, and oh my god, they're eating my Chobani! <laughs> For more on this story, we go live to Oklahoma and Roy Wood Jr. Roy.
This, this is an astounding scoop. Shady sheriffs caught talking about murder, hitmen, being racist. What a story. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sending me exactly to where it happened. Jordan, <laughs> here's the thing. If you put a recorder next to any sheriff, any sheriff, for just a few minutes, you're going to hear some racism. That's why I don't trust, I don't trust none of these sheriffs. I don't trust Andy Griffith. I don't trust Woody from Toy Story. And I damn sure don't trust none of them Paw Patrol dogs. They, they, Oh, are they all cops? I don't know, but either way, I don't trust them. And if I'm being honest, I'm kind of surprised that this recording wasn't more racist. Really? I mean, they were saying it's too bad they couldn't kill black people, like, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. So we canceling people for reminiscing now? <laughs> you can't take a walk down memory lane? That's all they did. Either way, they know they can't do it anymore. That's why when they was on tape, they were talking about killing white people. That's progress. That's what Martin Luther King was talking about. No, no, it's That's not, what Martin no, Luther King was talking, was talking about. about. I had a poster of his speech in my college dorm room, Roy. And they're not just talking about killing white people, Roy. They're talking about killing white journalists. We need to protect these lion-hearted, ivory-skinned, Michigan-born reporters, whoever they may Clint, be. Stop they are, being a they bitch, are, man. <laughs> what you so scared of, man? I'm not saying that they should kill white. I'm not saying that they that they should kill white people. I'm saying we can agree that it's better than killing black people. No. <laughs> I, Roy, we cannot agree on that. Oh, so you're saying it's better to kill black people? No, no, Roy, I'm not saying that. No, that's what you're saying. I'm not saying that. That's Roy, just what that's you just said. Roy, I want, the, I want them to kill us both equally, all right? Okay, okay. These cops shouldn't be talking about killing anybody anyway. Yeah, but can you blame them? Look at this small-ass, janky-ass building, man. They work in this building every day. If I had to spend my whole day in a space that small, I'd be racist, too. Old tiny-ass, no-ventilation-having-ass place. Look, man, if you're a white man and your life has led you to a job in this building, you gotta blame somebody. <laughs> Might as well be us. This, this, this look like the third house from the Three Little Pigs, Okay, man. right, right. Yeah. Okay, enough, enough about the building. Let's talk more about the audio recording. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the audio recording. Great. Let's talk about the audio recording and how they weren't able to see a tape recorder in this small-ass building. Okay. The tape recorder probably took up half the room. They was, you know they felt the heat from the batteries. They was probably in the room just looking over. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say about lynching? I can't hear you over this tape recorder. Okay. What do you think should happen to these officers, Roy? I think, I think what should happen to the officers is very simple, Jordan. They plotted a murder, which last I checked is a crime. So for the good of society, we cannot entrust these types of people with protecting the citizens of Oklahoma. They have to be locked up. They have to be placed in solitary confinement because then they'd have more breathing room than they had in this damn tiny ass building. Okay. It's small, man. Okay. You can't uh, even yeah. fart in this uh, bitch. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry I asked. Roy Wood Jr., everybody. Roy All right, all right. When we come back, I'm going home. Don't go away. Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take the dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. 
The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized an already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Love the Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. attention because of how Florida it is. But it's not the only state out there. That's why I traveled to Michigan, my home state, to interview its governor, Gretchen Whitmer, about how she's making Michigan the opposite of Florida. Last fall, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer cruised to re-election with a double-digit win against a Trump-backed election denier. Democratic control of both the state house and Senate has allowed her to make unfettered progress on infrastructure, abortion rights, and gun regulations. And now, just past 100 days into her second term, I wanted to hear what's next, so I went back home to Michigan to lend my support to the vital local beer-making economy. In Michigan, we pre-game with our friends and families before Wolverine Saturday, and now apparently before interviews with the governor. We'll do a Michigan test to see your sobriety. Can you spell Ypsilanti? Y-P-S-I-N-A-R-B-O-R. Wow, okay, you passed. That's good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Governor, is this sort of like an opposite AOC? You a successful politician becomes a bartender? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to have some skills after this is done. I just want to remind you, the governor cannot accept any cash tips, but I can. So whatever you want to leave, that'd be great. And remember, things cost three times as much in New York. So, uh, typical. Well, he should move back to Michigan, am I right? Uh, cheers, Governor. Thank you for, for meeting me. Glad to be here with you. It's happy to be here in uh, a Michigan health food store, a microbrewery. It doesn't get better. It's Michigan agriculture, Michigan beer. Right? This is a special one to me because I'm from Kalamazoo. And my little son took his first steps in the back of Bell's Brewery. Well, then did you put that in the baby book? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in Michigan, that's statistically likely. It's either going to be at a microbrewery or a Myers parking lot. <laughs> so Michigan goes Trump in 2016, Biden in 2020. It goes you overwhelmingly in 2022. What's happening in Michigan? We are the most diverse swing state in the country. And I think that's what makes it so great. It's also why you got to listen to people. You got to talk to people and you got to try to solve problems instead of just feed frenzies and and anger. Yeah. Here in Michigan, the uh, head of the GOP, internally elected, QAnon sympathizer, election denier, calling Democrats demonic. (laughs) Well, the head of the GOP, to your point, said that both Beyonce and yoga are satanic. Do you have to walk the line on satanic Beyonce? No. I'm always going to make a seat at the table for someone who actually wants to solve problems regardless of what their political bent is. Mm -hmm. But I don't have time for people who 
want to call Beyonce satanic. Yeah. There's a big hunting culture here in Michigan, and you're about to pass some, some big gun control measures here. Uh, what do you say to the gun owners here who still really, really want to kill deer? You don't need fancy words. You don't need any gimmicks. You can still hunt and enjoy. You can still be a lawful gun owner. Most gun owners believe that there should be background checks and safe storage. I mean, you know, Indiana's done this. Virginia has done this. I mean, these are not wild, you know, changes. It's just simply trying to make people safer. I like how you say that. I mean, if Indiana can do it, <laughs> we can do it. I mean, right? Abortion is usually a topic Democrats run from, or at least making a centerpiece of their campaigns. You did, and you've taken bold action on that. Is that a recipe for national elections? The Midwest is a great place to see that you can win on abortion. People expect to have these rights. We've had them for 50 years. We expect our kids to be able to make their own decisions about their bodies and their futures. Now, you repealed in 1931 abortion law? Yeah. Are there any other laws on the books from back then that are worth looking back into? Is there like oh, a... Oh, yeah. We got a lot of zombies that... Are there in there? Yeah. What? Zombie killer, yes. Death penalty for swing dancing? Is that in there? <laughs> Spring in Michigan means potholes are everywhere, and the governor has invested billions on infrastructure as part of her promise to fix the damn roads. As someone who blew a few tires here in my high school days, I knew it was my duty to help. All working men and women wear car hurt. <laughs> and so does Jordan. And, okay. <laughs> All right, Governor. All right. Ready to do some work? I think so. Hey, you got kind of pretty shoes on. Dress for the job you want. And for me, I'd like to be foreman or whatever corporate person <laughs> is in the air conditioned office. Bellas, let me pull out my watch. What time is it? Time, time to, to fix the, the damn roads. <laughs> you know what this is right here? This is a this is a spatula, right? No, this, like is, a, this uh, is what we call work around here. <laughs> so we handed you a little work, and uh, I know you got nice pants on, so uh, try not to get too much work on. Yeah, if if this is actually an impediment, I could actually stand and I could watch the work and see how it goes. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> we fixed some potholes, drank some Oberons, and perhaps most importantly, established that my home state is definitely not Florida. Other states are waging kind of wars against different, you know, parts of their population. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of politicians just want to pick fights and get headlines, and whether it's picking a fight with Mickey Mouse or moving backwards to the, you know, early 1900s, it's so much easier to show up and to listen to people and know what really matters. So. We're trying to make Michigan a place where every business can thrive and every person has rights and freedoms to make their own decisions and to live the life they want and be successful here in Michigan. You're progressive on guns, on abortion rights. It feels like the Michigan hand, it's a welcoming hand. It is, it's a freedom. It's freedom. If Michigan is a hand, what is Florida? It looks like a... What? I mean, it looks like a... Okay, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm just saying. And it's one peninsula. It's one peninsula that's <laughs> urinating on our democracy at times. Your words. My words. Fair. <laughs> Stay tuned because when we come back, Michael Shannon will be joining me on the show. Don't go away. Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? 
But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Love the Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. who can currently be seen in the Showtime series Waco, The Aftermath. Please welcome Michael Shannon. Excited, Michael. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, this series today's the 30th anniversary of the Waco siege. Mm. Um, yeah, and I know this series. You did a series that looked at the Waco siege, yep. uh, and now this is revisiting it. Mm-hmm. It's the aftermath. What What is it about Waco that made you want to return to this story? Well, yeah. I mean, a, a, a lot of people. When I told them I was making a sequel to Waco, they said, "Didn't you?" do it all. I mean, that was the whole thing, right? And, you know, granted, that was the event, yes, but obviously an event like that is like a, like a meteor crashing into the earth, you know? It's going to have seismic consequences, and, uh, and I really think it's worth exploring, you know, these, these incidents, they don't just exist in a vacuum, and they, Everything is connected and everything leads to the next thing, and, and that's what was so worthwhile to explore. Yeah, I mean, you look at Waco, and Waco is sort of in many ways, if not the birth of the modern militia movement, definitely yeah. a part of the trajectory for it, right? Yeah, and just sowing, you know, this, uh, this distrust in uh, the government. You know, I, a lot of times, when I think about uh, anarchy, I think, well, wh- what is it that really frightens people about anarchy? What is the thing that you would lose in, an, in, in an, a state of anarchy that is so significant? And the, and the answer that I keep coming up with is, well, the government uh, keeps you safe. Like, the government exists in order to keep the population safe, taken care of. And... Um, and if the government isn't doing that, it's really kind of worthless. Like, there, there is no reason for yeah. it to exist. And it does that in a variety of ways, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, the most obvious way is just keeping us safe from harm, but also helping us to take care of ourselves and be able to take care of ourselves and, and live somewhere where we don't have to worry about our own well-being all the time. Yeah. Like, that's, 
as far as I can tell, why it's there. Yeah, so, I mean, I, it, yeah. I think in an ideal sense, yes, right? Now, I, I spent a lot of time out in the road. I talked to a lot of folks who have this inherent distrust in the government, right? right? That don't see it as something that serves a role to support and to protect. It's something you should be distrustful of. I think Waco is an experience that was complicating for a lot of folks. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was the government didn't handle it perhaps the way they could have or should have. Um, you even make the series at a time that was pre what happened in January 6th. Uh, the series originally looks at sort of this extremism. And now since then, we've seen what is extremism uh, uh, in a series like that now make its way onto the front pages, onto the steps of the Capitol. January 6th has now happened. How does that affect approaching telling the story again? Well, geez, I mean, it just makes me wonder, like, because things keep happening that you think there's no way this could ever happen. Mm -hmm. And then it happens. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, what's the next, what, what's the next thing after January 6th? And it, what's fascinating is, is that the fellow I'm playing, Gary Nessner, who's an actual real person, has an incredible book I highly recommend everybody read called Stalling for Time. Um, but Waco is one chapter in his book. As, like I said, as cataclysmic an event as it was, it's only, he's got all these incidents that he's dealt with over the years on micro and macro levels. And, um, and he is very reluctant. He's not, a, he's not looking to vilify anybody or say, oh, you know. And he, he would agree that, that that situation in Waco was an incredibly complicated situation. And, uh, and he has doubts himself about how he handled it. He certainly has doubts about how other people handled it. But he doesn't think there's like a, a big bad wolf or anything like that. But um, I think it just, it's extraordinarily compelling, I think, this story. And I think it's extraordinarily valuable to realize that no matter how outlandish an event is, that there is something even more outlandish just around the corner. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's, um, I think that's why the story is worth keeping in the forefront of our minds. I also think it's Are worth- Are you telling that because you're a storyteller and you're like, Next season, like you want, you made, you got, you gotten two things out of this already. You're like, and you think you've seen this so far? The after aftermath? Are we pitching it now? Uh, <laughs> um, well, there are actually, I, I, you know, Gary and I, because Gary and I have actually become uh, very good friends. Well, you bought the IP. I see yeah, what yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 all right. Well, Gary, it's, it's, I think it's important to point out, too, that I'm absolutely nothing like Gary. Like, mm -hmm. I don't look like Gary. I don't sound like Gary. Were you like the second, third, fourth choice? Is that yeah, what you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, was, it was Danny DeVito, <laughs> uh, Fisher Stevens, and then me. Yeah. Um, They're always grabbing your good roles, yeah, 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 man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm like a catch basin. You know, I, I get what nobody else wants. Uh, but, but um, he's like, yeah, we, we, we've got to make all the chapters in the in the. And there's there there is a great potential for season three, but I'm not going to ruin it or tell you. If you read the book, you'll sure. figure it out. Yeah. But anyway, and the the only other point I wanted to make is, it, and I've heard other people, friends of mine, say this. Uh, particularly uh, the Dowdles, the Dowdle brothers who made the show, who are just John and Andrew, are just beautiful, beautiful people. And they really, 
really care. Like, it's not easy to make a show like this. There's going to be a lot of resistance. It's like, really? This is kind of a drag. You want us to, you know, like, yeah, we need to do this. And uh, like resistance because it's a, inherently a political story? Yeah, that's part of it. It's also unpleasant, you know? It's, it's pretty, pretty darn unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Texas. But I, I, I think one of the things that's valuable also about it is that it proves that no matter what side of it, of this debate or issue that you're on, everyone is capable of having a flawed perspective. Mm -hmm. Everyone is. Mm -hmm. And that that's also an important thing to remember. Um, and a lot of people pay lip service to that. It's like, well, it's not until we reach across the aisle or whatever, find a common ground. But I think it's really interesting in this, in, in this situation, in this story, to see how that really is, is not uh, easy to do for either side mm -hmm. and uh, how complicated that, that truly can be in, in practice, not just as like a, a catchy slogan, but yeah. something that you actually do. Yeah, well, it's vulnerable to secede any kind of ground, right? So yeah, the admitting that your point of view might be flawed could put you in a, a position where you suddenly now lose ground to this other side. And I feel like we're constantly fighting those battles today. Well, and particularly when uh, there, there, there are actually lives on the line. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just Thanksgiving and you're not threatening to throw sweet potatoes at your uncle, you know? It's like there are people in a very life and death situation mm -hmm. and, um, and decisions have to get made very quickly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, uh, switching gears a little bit here, uh, I'm from Chicago. I, I, I know your reputation. I saw you in Chicago perform. Uh, not only are you uh, wonderful on the big screen, but also live in theater. And I know not only do you do live theater, I, I know you also perform music. You cover uh, historic bands and their, their historic albums. I know you also do improv. Uh, is there, is there such, we had a what? What? <laughs> Yeah, kind of, it's sort of, I'm assuming it's like a whose line is it anyway type situation, a lot of props and a lot of, I'm kidding, I, I wouldn't insult long form improv I just, that way. I ride the pacifier. <laughs> it's just really? funny to see a grown man with a pacifier. <laughs> Are yeah, you drawn yeah. to the, that types of things? I feel like you're known for more, for your, your heavier, heavier, more dramatic performances. Do you sort of have to indulge the other side? Oh, gee, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't do enough. Like there's things like I should try other things uh, and keep diversifying my portfolio as it were. But, uh, but then I think, well, you hear a lot of times just stay in your lane, you know, whether that's with your work or your opinions or whatever, you know, just stay in your lane. So I'm, I'm kind of conscious of that too. Like uh, the music stuff, people are always like, what happened to your band or what's going on with that? And I was like, nah. It just started to feel, well, it just started to feel like, like, cause I mean, who wants to, to actor bands are like, I'm embarrassed by them and I'm an actor. So I don't, I don't want to participate in that. Like I remember when I, and I, I freaking love Kevin Bacon so much, I but I remember that. seeing I like the Bacon brothers on Jay Leno. I was like, oh, I know you hear like, or like, I hear Joe Scarborough talk about his band and you're like, God bless. Go, go, yeah, yeah, go yeah. with God there, Joe, go with God. <laughs> Or certain people that I won't mention who come into the makeup trailer in the morning and they say, hey, have you heard my album? And then they put it on while everybody's getting their hair done and make you listen to their <laughs> record. You haven't done that. 
But I said I wasn't going to mention the name. <laughs> I tell, didn't want to incriminate myself. Tell me this, Michael Shannon. Tell me there has been a moment where you have walked up very seriously and asked somebody to come to your improv show. <laughs> Will you? I never. No. No. I, no, I, oh. I, I, no. Well, I'm usually riding someone else's coattails, though. As sure. you know, I'm performing oftentimes with two of the legendary yes. improvisers of all time, Dave Pesquese and T.J. Jagodowski. Yep. Yes. So the, the greatest of all time. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you could basically just stand on stage next to them and drool on your shoes, and it'll be like, bravo, you know, because nobody's watching you anyway. I think, yeah. though, you're not truly an improviser until you beg somebody to come to one of your shows. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, and you, because you did the, uh, the I.O., Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. They would have like 500 shows a day. Yeah. It was like one after the other after the other. Did you ever come and see any of my shows? No. No. Not a one. <laughs> Not interested in... I also did Second City, which was literally two blocks from your theater. I'm sure you came to see some of that, too. Well, that's... This is a little corporate, isn't it? It's got a little... Uh-oh. Uh Am I in trouble now? It's not corporate, it's just owned by venture capitalists now. So uh, if that's, that's corporate, then yeah, yeah maybe yeah, yeah. it's corporate. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you could come on here and uh, help me burn down any bridges I have in Chicago. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael, I'm, it, I'm everyone's favorite arsonist. Yeah, yes. You really come in. On the yes. anniversary of a siege, you came here and you took it to the ground. Yes, I appreciate I did. that. Yeah. Michael Shannon, everyone. New episodes of Waco the Aftermath stream Fridays and air Sundays on Showtime. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Sixteenth Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take the dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms, and it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Love the Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. That's our show for tonight, but before we go, please consider donating to Huntington Disease Society of America, a terrible disease that hits close to home for me, but... There's great people making great strides, so if you can, please donate at the link below. Explore more shows from The Daily Show Podcast Universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central Podcast. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.